All right. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 14 uh, in our series on Christ before Christmas. And the whole point of the series is to discover in the Old Testament that Christ is just as active, you could argue, as he is in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, he has a human body. In the Old Testament, he shows up in the form of a human, and sometimes in glorious ways, like the pillar of cloud that, that Moses goes out of Egypt, and Christ is in that cloud. The Bible tells us that. That's not Jamie's theory. Uh, you know, and, and so, but most people, Bible teachers, will see things in the Old Testament, and they'll say they're a type or a shadow or a foreshadowing, that it's not really Jesus. It's just somebody that represents it similar. Like Abraham is similar in many ways to Jesus, uh, but, but, in the, but my take on the garden was it was Jesus walking with Adam and Eve. It's, it's my take that, that Noah was invited into the ark by Jesus and that Jesus shut the door. And as last week, Pastor Kim did a brilliant job dealing with Jesus showed up at the tent with Abraham and Sarah and said, you are having a baby and, and, and I'm going to make it happen. And he ate bread with them and it just, she did a great job. You can watch those messages uh, online, their archives. And so seeing Christ doing in the old what he's going to do in a greater way in the new, to me, just deepens the old, but it also unpacks the new. And so I, this morning, to me, this is the most clear, obvious example in the Bible of Christ being active on earth before Christmas, before his incarnation. But most commentators, just going to give a disclaimer here, most commentators would disagree with me on it. Okay, so I don't care. And I could be wrong. But nothing I'm going to say about this mysterious figure is in any way detracts from Jesus if it wasn't actually Jesus himself. But our alternatives are, if it's not Jesus, who was it? Uh, because you're, we're going to see this morning that he's called greater than Abraham, which was the greatest. The Jewish people thought he was like one notch under God. I mean, you know, and that this is a, 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 it can't be an angel because he's worshipped. Uh, and so we're left with some people, oh, he's just a supernatural being. Well, what does that mean? You know, what supernatural being takes worship and serves God's people? And, but, no, it's, it's, so I'm going to take it. I'm not going to try to be defensive about it. I uh, just take it that we're going to see Jesus in his anticipation of what he's going to do when he comes and takes a body on earth. So chapter 14, we see the first mention of a war in the Bible. And you'll see the word king mentioned 26 times in this chapter. And, and, and when we get to the story that I'm going to look at, you'll see the collision of two kings in, with Abraham in the middle. And it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful picture of the battle for your soul. Uh, that, that, that we have a real king, Jesus, and we have a false king, Satan. And Satan wants your soul. And he'll take it however he can get it. Compromise. It's not like he's just going to come in and kill you because God would he'll just He'll just get you to be, become critical, cynical. He'll just get you to become, you know, your fire's out, but it's not a big deal because not many people have the fire. He'll get you to just, just, just compromise your way out of walking with Jesus. Either way, he's stolen your soul. He's going after your heart. And he wants Abraham's soul. And, and God has already called him out of darkness. He's already had some encounters with the, 
uh, with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he, he gets drawn into this battle when, on a side that he wouldn't normally be in because he's got skin in the game. His nephew Lot, who chose to live near the corrupt, dark city of Sodom. So you can't live in Sodom long and not be, I almost said a word, but I didn't say it. And so you don't know what it means, and so it doesn't, our culture doesn't use it anymore, but some of you knew what I was going to say. Anyway, you can't live there without getting corrupted unless you have a priest in your life, unless you have the Lord in a way that gives you the strength to resist. And Lot gets sucked away, and, and the king of Sodom gets beaten with these other kings, and they steal Lot as one of the captives. And so now they're skin in the game. Abraham gets his, his posse together. He's not a soldier. He's like a sheik. But he's got so many people that work for him. And he straps on the swords and they go to battle. And he delivers Lot. And he takes back all that was stolen. All the people and all the goods. And he's on his way cloud nine. He's, he's had promotion. He's successful. And on the way, king, the king of Sodom is coming after him. He's coming after his soul. And, and you'll see that it, it, it gets interrupted, and, and you'll see it in the text. So let's go to Genesis 14. Abraham's coming back from battle. He's been victorious. Was he wounded or not? I don't know. Uh, but he fought, verse 16 of chapter 14. He, being Abraham, recovered all the goods, brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Now, in this way, Abraham is a beautiful picture of Jesus, that he comes and fights for us, reclaims us as we've been captured by darkness. He comes to, to redeem us. So he's on his way. He's got to be happy. Lot's like, man, you the man, Uncle Uncle Abraham. You, you're the man. You know, you, you. And, and Lot's a conflicted character throughout the Bible. Uh, uh, Abraham, if it wasn't for Abraham, he'd have been destroyed. And it's another story we're not going to get to where Abraham intercedes for Lot when God says we're going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, please, and the only reason Lot gets rescued is because Abraham prayed for him. And it's a whole other message, and my mind's screaming at me, don't go down that road. All right, so let's move on. But it's, it's, it's chapter uh, 17, if you want to read it. Pastor Kim was in 16 last week, but if you get bored with the message, just flip over there to chapter 17 because it's exciting. Okay, verse 17. After Abraham returned from defeating Ketorlamor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. So the king is on a mission. He's going to go, he's, and, and, and he's, gonna, he's looking for, for greed. He's looking for, for possession. But we know demonically Satan's after Abraham's soul. So as he's coming, verse 18, then Melchizedek. Now, you know, don't miss that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say, and the king of Sodom was interrupted by the appearance of this mysterious figure that we know nothing about named, with this weird name Melchizedek. Which, by the way, let me just, I like to propose names for children that are unborn yet. And those of you that are still in childbearing age, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a big fan of this name, Melchizedek. What a, but don't, if you name them, don't let them be Mel. Nothing wrong with male if there's a male here. Any males here? Don't raise your hand. Okay, got it. Well, that's a female, but it's a male. Male, because you might end up owning a diner or something. But anyway, you, you, uh, Melchizedek's a great name. Hopefully, when I'm in, done with the message, you'll go, that's a good name. If I had another child, 
I name him Melchizedek. It's a great name. So he comes, and, and it doesn't give us any history. It's like a meteorite. Just whoosh, swoops in. Now, does Abraham know him? I mean, I don't know of him. Probably. But he just swoops in on the scene in verse six, uh, 18. Uh, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Most think this is Jerusalem before King David, hundreds of years later, captures it, turns it into the city of God, Zion, the, uh, where the temple is built and in Israel. Uh, and, and, but, but then there's no history here that we can find that there was a king in Jerusalem named Melchizedek. So this guy is a king, but he's also, it says, he's a king, but he brings bread and wine, which is not what a king does. This is what a priest does. He was also a priest of the Most High. Now, we're going to come right back here. So if you want to hold your finger here, if you're following in your Bible, if you're on an electronic device, you can swap over to the book of Hebrews. And I just want to give you just a little bit of background in the New Testament, giving us understanding of the Old, because the Old Testament says nothing else about this guy except one verse in Psalms that Hebrews uh, refers to. And I, I don't have time to kind of unpack those things, but the book of Hebrews is all about Christ being our high priest. And he's comparing this Melchizedek, that Melchizedek is a, is a pattern, is a, is a, is a, is a picture of, of who Jesus is going to be. Because you can say, because somebody weird, mysterious represented, or because it was Christ himself before he had a body that's so pivotal to his priesthood because he sacrifices that body. But the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that really unpacks what it means for Jesus to be our high priest, which we know he's our king, he's our Lord. But in Christ, both of those positions are united. In the Old Testament, you're either a king or a priest, you can't be a king priest. Melchizedek was. So he breaks the rules. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say that Jesus' priesthood is above all the Jewish priests. And he's from a whole different... In fact, the writer of Hebrews says Jesus comes after the line of Melchizedek. So he connects them. The writer does. And so... Because he's saying, I'm going to have a new priesthood. Christ was the new high priest. So chapter 7, look what it says about him. And see if, if, if you were just reading the Bible, letting the Bible say what it says, who would you think Melchizedek was? This Melchizedek, chapter 7, verse 1 of Hebrews. This Melchizedek was king of Salem. That's Jerusalem. And priest of the Most High. And this is all stuff right out of Genesis uh, 14. But he adds this. He met. Doesn't say it, it just says he he uh, then came uh, Melchizedek, but he, he meets, there's this collision. He meets Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed him. Let me just stop for a minute. You, th this isn't American politicians saying, God bless America. This is Melchizedek, who I think is Jesus, pronouncing as king and priest a blessing. We use that so flippantly in our culture. You could become an evangelist just by turning the saying, God bless you, into something you deeply mean and you know you're, 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 you're conferring, you're imparting something 
to someone. When, you, when, when a politician says, God bless America, you know what he's asking God to do? Pillage the darkness in our country. Put porn out of business. Put sexual trafficking out of business. Put greed out of business. Put Planned Parenthood out of business. Put all the corruption and the fentanyl and all the drug out of business. Put crime out of business. Put racism. When you say, God bless America, do you want that? No, you don't. You hypocrite, stop saying it. I'm sorry. That's where our car, we're all, oh, he said, God bless you. That means, what God's he talking about? Now, if you say Jesus, you're in another category. He blesses, we'll come back to that in a minute. He blesses him. Now, in verse 2, Abraham gave a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. This is what Melchizedek means. Wouldn't you want a kid named king of righteousness? He'd have to fight pride his whole life. King of righteousness. Also, he's king of Salem, which means king of peace. Who is that? Who could that be? That's not an angel. That's not some biblical character that just rose the occasion. This is Jesus in the form of Melchizedek, whatever he was wearing, whatever he comes and Now look what he says. He's without father and mother. Hello? That means you're not human. If you don't have a mama and you don't have a daddy, you're from somewhere else. That doesn't take a brain surgeon. People go, well, he's just emphasizing that he's not of the bloodline of the priest in the Old Testament that found their lineage from Aaron and the Levites and blah, 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 because God's starting a new priesthood. No, it said he didn't have a mother or father. That's not an orphan. Somebody birthed an orphan. This is someone from another realm. This is Jesus. He has no mother, no father. He's without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like, compares him now, connects him to, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Let me help you. You can't have two high priests. There's Jesus and Jesus alone, and nobody comes before him in the Bible. He says he's before all things. All things were made by him. So, Anyway, that's all the argument I'm going to make. You can unpack it in your own mind. But don't miss this next verse, verse 4. Just think how great he was. He's elevating way beyond any human, way beyond an angel. Angels are to, earlier in the book, he says angels are servants to serve believers. He's, see how great he was. Even the patriarch who the nation of Israel comes from, the patriarch Abraham, Gave him a tenth of the plunder. He tithed to him. And his doing that, we'll go back to Genesis uh, 14 now. So when he meets, he meets uh, uh, Melchizedek, the first thing Melchizedek does is he breaks out the bread and wine. Now, he's not just bringing him a box lunch. He's not just saying, hey, you got, you want to, I got an extra Big Mac here. You want, you want, I'll split my fries with you, buddy. He's coming to him. After a massive victory to nurture his soul because he's about to meet the breath of the dark one. The king of Sodom is coming his way. So you don't know how much you need spiritual strength until you meet the king of Sodom. When you meet him, you will wish you had a priest like Melchizedek 
who met you first. You can't find spiritual strength when you're not being nurtured spiritually by the Lord. The enemy will just wait till you're weak. He'll just wait until you're prideful. He'll just wait till you're not expecting that phone call, that temptation, that mental attack, assault. God says, nope, I'm going to protect my man. Melchizedek showed up, brought him some bread and wine. There's, you can't read that with an understanding we have in the New Testament about what we're going to do at the end of the service. I'm not saying it was New Testament communion. I'm just saying it was more than a snack. It was communion with the high priest. It was communion with the Lord God Almighty. It was a fellowship. It was life. And that that bread wasn't just bread. That was baked in heaven. That was the holy presence bread that's about to be made uh, every week in the temple when, they, when Moses comes along and they, they make the show bread, the, the bread of presence that's in front of them. It represents what Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the manna that came down. The, the, the priest came to feed. See, this is what Jesus loves to do. He loves to feed our souls. But you've got to take time. Abraham could have said, hey, buddy, I'm in a hurry here. i got to go do this. i got to go do that. You can't nurture your soul in a hurry. You have to wait before the Lord. That means you've got to make him a priority. You can't go, God, can you fill me up real quick? I'm going to in a hurry here. Yeah. It's like trying to love your wife in a hurry. Honey, I'm in a hurry. i got to go. I'm going to make his hurry. I'll see you later. She's going to go, oh, I feel nurtured and loved. I feel filled up for the day. That air hug from the running to the car meant everything to me. Oh, honey, you're the best lover in a hurry you could find. No, it's true. Back up the tape in your own life. Who are you loving in a hurry? You ain't loving them. Because someone that's valuable is worth the extra time. Take the moment. Take the minute. When you linger with Jesus, good stuff happens. When you hurry, you're going to miss the meal. You're going to go, oh, I got things on my mind. I got things I got to do. Things are more important. What's more important in your life? Name the blank. Fill it in. What takes priority over you having a meal with Jesus and being nurtured and fed? You opening the word. You waiting upon the Lord. You asking the Holy Spirit. You worshiping God. You taking a moment to sit at his feet and say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. If you're not doing that, the king of Sodom has already got his hooks into you. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Abraham fed his soul. He drank the cup. He communed. Now the priest blesses him. It says that he, verse 19, and he blessed Abraham. Now look what he didn't just say, bless you. He blessed him. He blessed Abraham by the God most high creator of heaven and earth. Verse 20. He blessed be God most high. He's worshiping God now. So he's blessed Abraham. Now he's blessing God most high. And then he reminds Abraham, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Why, do you, why have you prospered in life? Well, as I've worked for it. Really? Really? Is that your answer? 
That's a shallow answer. Working hard is diligence and it's really good. There's a lot of people that work really hard that haven't prospered well. It doesn't always work that way in our country. You got where you are by the grace of God. If you think you got to where you got by your, just your hard work, you're living in delusion. You had blessings, privileges, doors open, favor on your life, prayers answered, car wrecks that you walked away from that you shouldn't have. You didn't get where you are today because you've been smart, tough, and wise. You got to where you are today because God's been merciful to you. You could have been taken out with COVID. You could have been taken out like your friend was on the motorcycle. You could have been taken out by despair and depression. You better find what Abraham is about to exemplify to you. He understood this. He, he received the bread, drank the cup, walked in the blessing, and then he responded in worship. He responded. Look what it says in verse, uh, the end of verse 20. He blessed, blessed be the most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him 10% or a tithe of everything. Now, you, I'm going to talk about money for a while here. So you can tune me out. You can check out. You can start looking up on who's playing sports today. You can go whatever your heart goes after. Because I know it's not a subject people like to talk about. But I'm not a pastor that doesn't want to disciple his people. And we're not in a crisis, so I'd rather talk about it when we're not in a crisis. There are churches all over America today that are in crisis financially. They're, in, they're not paying their pastors. They're not taking care of them. And the number one reason is because God's people are hoarders and they're not givers. We have a giving church. We have a generous church. You don't give away a $55,000 offering and not be a generous church. If you think that hasn't hurt us, if you don't think we haven't felt that like a 9.5 on the Richter scale, that's like two offerings out of the year, gone. And we're still being a generous church. It, 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 it's, it, it, it hurts. But you know what? It's, it hurts so good that you know God's going to do something. And I'm, my faith is by the time we get to the end of the year, we'll see the Lord replenish that. But did you see anywhere in here where Melchizedek tells Abraham to give him something? Did you see that in the verse? Let me just go down when he meets the king of Sodom, verse 21. The king of Sodom had said to him, give me. Jesus will never say that to you. Jesus will invite you to worship him. Jesus will bless you to worship him. But Jesus will never say, give me your money. You will never find a verse in the Bible where it says that. Abraham was never told to honor God with 10% of his finances. That's a culture thing that they understood that when they honored and worshiped, that's what they did. This is 400 years before ever, and people say, tithing's in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a law. No, it's grace. It's called God gave you 100% of what you have, you acknowledge that by giving him 10% of what you've received. That's called a tithe. You don't need a calculator to figure out, let me help you whether you're tithing or not. When you get your paycheck, whenever, if it's by sales, whatever, let's say you got an $842 paycheck. Forget the pennies. You made $842. 
What a tithe is, is you drop the last number, the two, and that gives you $84. That's what a tithe is. It's not what was in your wallet when the offering went by, which we don't take up one. A tithe is you honor God with 10% of what you make, period. That's what a tithe is. So if someone says, are you a tither? The only reason you can say yes is that if you look at your economic statement that you made this amount of money, and at the end of the year, you gave this amount. Now, I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm not telling you God's telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that's what Abraham did. Nobody had a gun to his head. He had a heart that said, I'd have never won that battle. I'd have never got my nephew back. I'd have never prospered in any. I wouldn't be Abraham if it wasn't for God being good to me. He's blessed me, and I want to say thank you. I want to be grateful. I want to honor you. That's what a tithe does. Now, in my opinion is, you tithe where you're spiritually fed, which is where your home is. If you're a local church that you're fed by, that's where you ought to give to. Not a radio ministry, TV ministry, or a sad dog story. So you tithe in the kingdom. Now, you can give another place. When I go through public, hey, would you like to give? I go, no. Now, I'm not going to defend myself because I know what my wife, we, we, we tithe. We support children in Africa. And we're generous with our finances. I don't feel guilty when a sad dog show comes on TV. I just clicked and go to another channel. <laughs> oh, but that dog, I can't help it. Not my job. I gave it to office. So that's cold. No, I go, you could go broke just trying to give to everything. You got to drew a tear in your eye and some sad song that somebody wrote. It wasn't about dogs, but it was about people stuck in some cold hotel room. Yeah, bring the checkbook out. Let's save something else. You can't do everything, but you better start with honoring God first. Not a sad dog story. You better, and he's not a sad God. He's not holed up somewhere, needing to be let off a chain. He's God Almighty. Doesn't need a dime of what you got. You need what he has. You don't buy it, but you release it by honoring him and that 90% that's left over after you give him 10, that still belongs to God. you got to learn to be a steward of it. You, got that, that you don't go, okay, God, I'll give you yours. This is mine. No, it's all his. You acknowledge that spiritually. Now, I want to challenge some of you that don't do that. you got to, how many weeks before Christmas? Don't just guess. If you know, tell me. Uh, you know, I don't know. I should have counted. Somebody's figuring it out? Weeks. Don't say four or five. I want to know how many weeks. Is that a guess or I know? You're going to stake your life on it? Five, if you count Christmas Day, we'll count that. Five weeks. I'm going to invite you to take a five-week challenge. Whatever you make between now and Christmas Eve, which we're having one service, baptism on Sunday morning, and then three Christmas Eve services Sunday night, something for everybody. We're doing a Midnight mass, not a mass, but we're doing a midnight. Uh, anyway, we'll tell you more about that. I want to challenge you. I don't care if you don't make any extra money. I don't care if you make the biggest sale you've ever made. You give God 10% of everything you get in the next five weeks. Go all in. Quit tipping God. Quit hoarding his money. Start honoring him. Just try it. I don't care. I don't feel like it. Don't revert back to being your five-year-old. Train your heart to be generous. You have to train it. 
I don't care what you feel. It hurts. I don't like doing it. I'm going to that pouty face, and I'm going to have less, and I've got to. You've got to do it out of faith, not out of a sense of, I have to do it. The pastor said, no. Don't, if you do it for Jamie, you'll last about nah, not even an hour. If you do it because you said, I lifted my hand, as Abraham does in a minute, when he says to the king of Sodom, he says, I'm not going to give you nothing. You're not going to give me nothing. You're not going to tell me or anyone else that you made who made me rich. I'm who I am because God made me rich. I'm blessed because God blessed me, not because I compromised my soul to sell out to the king of Sodom so he could give me some of the possessions and blessings. He stood up to the king of Sodom because he was surrendered to the king Jesus. You'll never resist the king of Sodom. Whatever form he comes in, you'll never resist him. If you're not nurtured by the priest, the Lord Jesus, if you're not surrendered, living in the blessing under the king, and you're honoring him with your finances, that doesn't make you exempt from problems. That doesn't mean you're not going to get, it just means that you're positioned yourself in a place that God is number one in your life. Because some of you, you could change the motto, you can have my gun when you peel it out of my cold dead hand. Most of you, it's you can have my wallet when you peel it out of my cold dead hand. You can have my gun before you can have my wallet. Now, maybe you, some of you might be different than that. I don't know. But does your bank account reflect that God's number one in your life? Then if it doesn't, stop telling people he is. Because he's not. Our money reflects our values. It reflects our priorities. It reflects who we trust and what we trust in. So how you manage it is a whole nother sermon. And, and how you steward it and guarding yourself against just unruly debt and credit. That's a whole nother game. You don't tithe and then be stupid with your money. That just not, that's not the point here. God doesn't need it. But you need to honor him. So I'm going to ask you at the end of the service. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to take your picture. I'm not going to say, oh, you had your hand up. Somebody beside you saw you. No, it's unto Jesus. You're going to do what, look what Abraham does. King of Sodom comes to Abraham, and he says to him in verse 21, the king of Sodom says to Abraham, give me the people. You keep the goods yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a thong of a sandal so that you'll never be able to say I made Abram rich I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and share what belongs to the men who went with me to enter Ashcol Mamre let them have their share listen to me if he hadn't have met Melchizedek if he hadn't have fed his soul if he hadn't have been blessed if he hadn't surrendered and worshipped with his tithe, he would have succumbed to the temptation. This is a king coming. There could be threats. There could be all. See, Abraham cut the cords with Sodom before God ever came in judgment for Sodom. He had cut the cords. Some of you are gripped with the cords that are sucking the life out of you spiritually. And if you don't choose to cut the cords... No one will cut them for you.
The church can't do it. You have to choose to let Jesus be your priest who comes with a knife to cut the cords. He comes at, you know, one of the best things we do at the men's retreat. Most of you don't know about it. We don't often advertise it, but what we do on Saturday night, it's not like a secret ceremony, but it is. I'll let you in on it. After we've prayed and wept and cried and sought after God for two days and, and had come to Jesus moments and, and repented and dealt with lies and lust and lures of the world and and we stand before God and worship, and I get a couple of the oaks uh, in our church, a couple of oaks of righteousness uh, that, that represent leadership, and they get this big giant rope, and they hold it. One's on one end, one's on the other. And then we've got this knife. I'm talking a knife that this, this will kill. This will kill. And we call men to step into manhood that have never said, I've cut the cord. I, I don't care whether they're 18, 60. We'll have men come, and they'll come to that rope, and the guys start chanting, cut the rope, cut the rope. And you don't just go, whoop. It's a sawing. I mean, you could lose a finger if you're, if you're not careful on it. Mothers are probably freaked out seeing their kids with this knife in their hand. Manning them up. They get done cutting. When they cut that cord, the place goes crazy. And then we just pass them over to the men to gather around them and the elders to pray over them and to bless them and to call them into manhood and step up. I had young men going home to their mamas, handing mama the rope, saying, I'm stepping up, mom. I'm going to be a young man. And we had men showed back up to their wives, saying, it's not going to be me in porn anymore. It's me and Jesus. And here's the rope. I've cut the cord. We had men going home saying, I'm going to honor Jesus Christ with my finances. Here's the rope. I've cut the cord. It's far more than a ceremony. It's a, I lifted my hand, and I said, I'm all in, Jesus. That doesn't mean we're all arrived and nobody's there and that. It just means that I cut that. There's a, there's a mark. There's a place I look back. And just like Abraham said, I've lifted my hands. You're not coming for my soul. You're not going to get from me what belongs to him. And I'm not going to take from you that's from the dark side. I'm going to take what God gives me, and I'm going to be the man that God's called me to be or the woman he's called me to be. You can't do that without a priest. You can't do that because you're big, bad, and tough. You can't do that because you're all smart, that, and a bag of chips. You can't do it. You need a priest. You need to feed your soul. His name's Jesus. 2020, my wife and I launched out to have our first major sabbatical ever. We've had some time off before, but nothing like this. We made it a month, and COVID came a-knocking, and we ran home. And we led the church through months of ministering with the doors open in the parking lot through COVID. And then the Lord said, I said this year you'd go on sabbatical. So we left again. We went to uh, Sedona for our first month. First week there, I get a, it's two days there, I get a call. Got mold in your house. And it had a leak for years, didn't know about it. Um, mold all over, had to tear out the whole kitchen, bathrooms, and all, while we're gone. Then I get a call the next day that one of my dear friends, and a big part of this church for years, he and his wife Diane Slater moved uh, to North Carolina. He was driving some things to a neighbor to give him some uh, fruit from his garden, and his gator flipped over and broke his neck and killed him. Uh, on his way there. And then the next day, my wife has a gallbladder attack. Uh, 
and has to have emergency gallbladder surgery. And so here I am, I'm like week one of our round two of sabbatical, and I'm like, God, what's going on? And so I get her home, she's in bed, surgeries happen, and I found a, a creek nearby, walk down through this uh, uh, valley, and uh, go into this beautiful secluded place. I'm sitting on a rock there, and I know I could get back, and I had my phone, and I could get home quickly uh, if she needed me and still had reception. But I sat on that rock, and and I'm, I, I got out. It's in the middle of the stream. It's about a about a 20 foot wide stream. It's flowing, and uh, I'm just sitting in there, and I'm, I'm pretty discouraged, beat up. It'd been a long run, you know. It, it, that one night I told you about Thursday night. We've been living that for 45 years of our life. I'm not saying it's always hard, but it's hard. Spiritual warfare is real. If he can't get me, he'll get my kids. If he can't get my kids, he'll get my grandkids. If you don't think that car accident wasn't targeting my wife and I, nothing can touch us more than that. Nothing. No one being harmed can touch us more than one of our grandchildren. And we pray for them. So I'm sitting on this rock, and I'm just like, God, I need you. And Melchizedek came and visited me on the stream. Now, I didn't say anything. I could have dismissed, this, dismissed it like it was a fly flying around my head. I could have just waved it off. But I knew I was in one of those moments, like men, when we were at the fire, that moment, you remember the fire? God stepped on. We didn't see anything. I didn't. I knew God had come to the fire. Well, God's always there. Yeah, but sometimes he shows up. And he showed up. He showed up at that creek. And I just knew. I don't know why, but I just knew it was my Melchizedek. And the Lord said, take your boots off. And that's not an easy thing to do when you're my size sitting on a rock in a flowing stream. It's quite a, it's, it took some art coordination to balance on that rock. I could see myself going in. It was real cold. This isn't going to end well, Lord. But I took my boots off, and he said, I want you to put your feet in the water, and as you do, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, I, I, again, I didn't see anything. I didn't even feel anything. I just knew. I just knew. And I, by faith, I said, Lord, I don't deserve that. He said, I'm your priest. And that song came to me that we're going to sing in a minute <clears throat> about coming to the fountain. All that are thirsty, all who are weak, dip your dip your heart in the in the waters. And he says, and your and your pain and your suffering will be washed away. And I sat there, and the Lord said, I'm washing your pain and your suffering away. It wasn't the pain of just that week; it was years of built up scar tissue in my heart, things that I dealt with, but probably didn't deal with deep enough, like some of you. You healed the wound, but it's still infected. You didn't go to the core. And the Lord took me to places, and I just wept, and he washed my feet. See, when Jesus washed feet in the New Testament, it was a radical act of humility. But let me tell you something that's more humble, is when he washes your heart from your sins. That's dirtier than your feet. We have a humble priest who not only will wash our feet, but he washes our heart. He washes our minds from polluted stuff. And the pain and the sorrow, some of it was self-inflicted pain. Doesn't matter, it's still pain, still sorrow. 
He washed me at that creek. I met Mal, my Melchizedek. And he fed me bread and wine. And he blessed me. I didn't want to give him 10%. I wanted to give him 100%. When you know how much he loves you, there's nothing he'll ask of you that's worth holding back on. There's nothing he'll ask of you that isn't something good for you to do or act on. He's only trying to train you in your heart that you can face the king of Sodom who's a vile, wicked, dark, evil king. And we all have to face him. There's a collision of two kings that day with Abraham in the middle. But he lifted his hand. And he said, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to honor the Lord. Five weeks. Make a commitment today. I'm going to honor God. Whatever I get. Nothing. Give nothing. Give 10%. Five weeks. See what happens. Live on the edge a little bit. You can white knuckle it for five weeks. Every time you ride that chain, I can't buy that video game. I might have to drink less. No more Starbucks for five weeks. Those are called first world problems. Get over it. Let's stand up together. Most of us don't have any idea what a third world problem is. We know what first world problems are. They're still problems. He's here. He's here to be king. That means you surrender. You say yes. He's here to be priest. That's to wash you, to cleanse you, to restore you. That's what he loves to do. He did it to Abraham. He came to earth to do it for all of us. That's why he took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is what Melchizedek symbolized to Abraham. You know, it's an interesting little side note for some of you that like to study the Bible. Remember we read in Hebrews where it says that he was greater than Abraham? Jesus almost got stoned in John 8 because he said, I'm greater than your father Abraham. They're like, no way. He said, yeah, not only am I greater, Abraham saw me. I think it was at Melchizedek, my opinion. Can't prove that. He said, Abraham saw me and rejoiced at seeing my day. He saw the cross. He saw what the priest of the Most High was going to come. Not just be priest, but be sacrifice. Jesus is both. He didn't come to offer something else. He offers himself. That's the bread and the cup. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he used the name for God. And they picked up stones to kill him. 
because the king of Sodom had their hearts. They couldn't give to God what belonged to God. They couldn't surrender to God what was rightfully his, which was their heart and life. They couldn't let Jesus be their priest because they didn't want to eat his body, take him into their lives and drink the cup, communing with the Father through his Son, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Just take a moment before we eat this bread. Not about your finances, but have you given Christ your heart? Have you said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life? Can you lift your hand and say, he is my Lord? Can you confess Jesus Christ? If you can't do that with with honesty, not are you religious? Do you know about the Bible? Are you trying to live a good life? But have you surrendered your heart to Christ as your King, as your Lord? If you've not done that, you can do it right now. Online, you can do it in your home, here in this church. Jesus, just invite him. He's here. He's not here just to wash your feet. He's to wash your soul, body, and mind with his blood. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. Be my Lord. Just ask him right now. And then thank you that he heard you.